Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 57 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and you can follow us on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. You can follow myself on Twitter at JustinHughes365. And you can follow my co-host, Andrew McQuiston, at AMCQ82. If you haven't done so already, go join our Facebook group where we are always talking baseball, Baseball 365, whether you play in redraft leagues, dynasty leagues, keeper leagues, points leagues, head-to-head, rotisserie. It really doesn't matter. We're talking any and all things baseball, especially fantasy baseball, especially at this time of year as everybody's getting ready for draft season. And if you want to support the show, you can plug us on iTunes by giving us a five-star rating. And Andrew and I decided we're going to do something through the month of February. Anybody who gives us a five-star rating on iTunes or any other serve platform that you listen to, if it's Google or, um, yeah, Google play or Stitcher or whatever it is, Spotify, just send me a screenshot either through Facebook messenger or on Twitter at Justin Hughes, three sixty five or at the podcast at baseball, three sixty five pod. If you send it any of those ways, we're going to put you in a drawing and we're going to give away a baseball 365 t-shirt like we've done a couple times over this last year. So even if it's just to get in a drawing for a ba- for a shirt, we're going to just basically bribe you guys to try to get us to get some ratings out there. So if you could do that, we would appreciate it and we will give a shirt out sometime near the end of February. What well, in this episode we're going to talk part 2 of outfielders and our rankings on ADP through the NFBC site. And now let me bring on my co-host, Andrew, and ask him my question of the week, which is one that I love talking about, but I really don't know how Andrew feels about this. Andrew, we've talked about TV shows. I know you love Survivor, but I honestly don't think I ever have heard you talk about movies off- ever, if, if not, at least not often. Do you go to the theater or rent movies often? Because I don't know. No, yeah, no. There's a reason you've never heard me talk about it. I, uh, not, I'm not a big movies guy. I mean, I've, I've obviously seen plenty of movies, but the, you could probably name off a list of classics, then, and you'd be amazed at the ones I haven't seen. Put it that way. You're that guy who everybody says, "What? You haven't seen blank?" Yeah. Correct. I'm absolutely that guy. When was the last time you saw a movie? What was the last movie you saw in a theater? Oh my gosh. I don't even remember. Does it go back further than a year? Oh yeah. It's probably been at least five years. Wow. Yeah, at least. Since I've seen a movie in the theater. I don't know if I've ever talked to anybody under the age of 40 who's told me that. Like, I know yeah, some I'm actually, older people. I, I'm actually trying to think of what it was, and I can't. I can't even recall what it was. That's how long it's been. Wow. So, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, I'm glad I asked. Definitely been a while. I mean, yeah, it's just 
not really my thing. If I, if there's a if there's a reason where that somebody you know if there's something somebody suggests and I think it sounds interesting, I'll give it a whirl. But other than that, I don't like seek it out too much. I did watch the um, Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix last week. I really want to so, see that. Yeah, stuff like that. I if it's something I have specific interest in, I'll go for it. But. So I don't even know about this one, but do you have a favorite movie? Uh, my answer normally to that is Shawshank Redemption. Well, if you're going to pick one, that's a good one. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. And I'm always like, there's a lot of comedies and stuff, classic comedies, dumb comedies <laughs> that the I like. Will Ferrell type comedies? Or are we uh, talking a different kind? I like, you know classic like whether it's like a classic like animal house or a stupid comedy that. like uh it's an older one or super, oh, yeah. super bad like super bad, super bad. but <laughs> okay. um, i do remember talking about that with you in a chat so yeah. there's one yeah just you know stuff like that anything that makes me laugh i like but <laughs> I, I've, i always um shawshank redemption was a good one so so comedies or shawshank yeah All right. How about you? I'm pretty generic with this. I mean, I like a lot of the things that are pretty popular. The Star Wars movies, especially the originals. The I, I hate to say this on a podcast. I'm going to probably have people mad, but I even like the prequels. I love all the Star Wars movies. The Bourne movies, I really loved all those. My wife and I always make sure we go to the theater. Anytime one of the Marvel movies of the last 15 years, we've seen almost every one of them in theater. And then the um, Christian Bale Dark Knight movies, those three, those are right up there. As any of those that I just listed, I could watch over and over again. I have a Plex server where I've taken all my DVDs and put them on Plex. And there'll be a lot of nights I'll just open up my iPad and put something on and watch it for 15, 20 minutes before I fall asleep. Just to give me something to do to help me, help me kind of, it just helps me. I don't know. Helps my mind fall asleep and probably not a good thing because A, you're staring at a light right before you go to sleep and B, it was a real bad drawback 15 years ago when I was always getting up really early and tired because then I'd go to the movie theater and fall asleep too. But (laughs) those are mine. So, okay. Well, like I said, we're going to talk about outfielders tonight, but before we get into that, let's talk about an outfielder at least briefly about an outfielder that we talked about last episode, and that's Mookie Betts. There's a lot of rumblings, and I haven't followed it closely today, but I'm hearing that there's a lot of fire smoke right now for a possible trade. Have you been following this? Because I don't know what's come out today, really. Not a ton, no. I, I saw the other day there was fake tweets about the Padres and the, I think it was the Padres and the Dodgers, separate uh-huh. fake ones, and there's all kind of stuff. I I feel like it could happen anytime, so we'll I see. I don't I don't really know what to believe until it kinda happens, I guess. I've heard so much different stuff. With all the smoke, I'm thinking this this might be about to happen. I have a feeling here in the next week it's gonna happen. With this much smoke, and I know the Red Sox are just desperate to cut payroll. And with J.D. Martinez opting in on that contract, they may have no choice here because they yeah. know. I don't think they feel they can re-sign him next offseason at this point. 
Which sucks for Red Sox fans. But, well, it is what it is. Dave Dombrowski won you guys a World Series, so I guess you do at least have that. Hopefully that'll make it hurt less. But if if I asked you right now, just hunch, is he wearing a Red Sox uniform opening day? Would you lean one way or another? Uh, I'd lean no. I think, I think I'm in the same boat. Hmm. Man, that's sad. What, while I'm at it, yeah. what about Aaron Otto? We don't have to go into it, but you do you lean one way or another on him? Uh, I think he's less likely to get moved. Yeah, I agree. I think I still lean yes, but it's really close. Really close to 50-50 for me. But Mookie, I think, is more likely. Okay. Well, let's get to outfielders, and if you have not listened to our outfield ranks from last episode, we covered outfield one, outfielder 1 through 18, including some fantastic conversation on the top three guys, Acuna versus Trout versus Yelich. So if you haven't listened, definitely go listen just for that alone, because Andrew brought it with some great statistics on those guys, as well as many of the others. And we're going to be starting off at number 19, Outfielder, so it's 64th overall. So most of the time we're talking about a 15-team league. So we're into the fifth round, and we're starting off with Victor Robles at 64 with the Washington Nats, and then at 20 we have Tommy Pham at 70, Joey Gallo at 80 with Texas, Ramon Laureano with the A's, same ADP at 80 overall, and Jorge Soler at 82. So we're moving into the top of the sixth round there, 5-6 will with some of those guys. And according to ADP, Andrew, Robles is the top outfielder on this list with a little bit of a gap. But I'm going to take a stab here from our previous conversations and say that he might not even be in your top three outfielders on this list for redraft leagues. Am I right? Uh, It kind of depends on... With guys like going through these tier by tier a little bit, it kind of just depends on what I need in that spot of the draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are these are very different players. Yes. So it just it depends on what I need. He wouldn't be first, but putting a guy like Victor Robles up against a guy like Jorge Soler, I mean, it just they're obviously very different players. So. Yeah, and I, I don't think you'd take – I think those two down there, I could I, I saw as your bottom two when I was guessing. I was thinking Fam, Gallo, and Loriano are guys you'd take above him in a, in a neutral situation, but you're right about the need if you need speed real bad. I mean, Fam may be gone, and if you're taking Loriano versus Robles, maybe you would go Robles, but that's the one I was wondering about. So uh, – Really, with these five guys, is there any way you think you would rank them? At least, who would be your number one on the list? All things equal. I think Fam would probably be my one. Um, Format dependent. I mean, like, one thing I've heard said on another podcast that I agree with is, like, with Gallo, it's hard in an overall – like, if if you're in a situation where there's, like, an overall winner – it's hard to stomach his batting average for like an overall pool. 
because he's just going to kill you in batting average, obviously. Um, Are you talking like an NFBC format yeah. when you say overall, well, right? Yes. Yeah, like an overall standings. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if it's a, if it's just a, a single league, then uh, it's a little bit different. But And obviously, hmm. OB, OBP with him, it's different. But, Completely. Um, yeah, fam, I think they're all close. I mean, ADP, I'd have Robles lower then um probably Loriano too i don't know that they're, they're kind of all in the mix i think they're all close i i kind of like this tier for the most part i just don't like robles at the top of it but yeah i think it's a pretty good tier overall let's talk robles first and why don't you tell what it is about him i've you and i have talked about him but what are the things about him that give you pause because there are a lot of people that look at his stats last year and think Man, this guy could be a twenty thirty guy, and maybe the Nats have talked about moving Trey to the three hole. Maybe Robles is going to hit leadoff, and then you can just boost up the runs in RBI. That's one side that people argue. What is your what is your kind of opinion, and what is it about him that you're not on that boat? So, yeah, I mean, I get that he's dynamic. He's obviously really fast. I mean, he's a candidate for, like you said, I mean, he could go 20-30. It's possible. Uh, Last year, he had 138 plate appearances in the top third of the lineup and 453 in the bottom third. I'm surprised it was that high, to be honest. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm I'm surprised he got 138. So was I when I looked at it. And he was 473rd out of 478 hitters in average exit velocity. So, yikes. Yeah, he just doesn't hit the ball hard. Can he improve? Yes. Like, this guy is fully capable of totally just improving across the board. He doesn't walk a lot, he's not going to post high OBPs, probably. And that's where I just wonder about him hitting at the top of a lineup that has Trey Turner, has Adam Eaton, has Juan Soto. I don't really see a spot. I guess if they move Trey to three and they want to put Robles at the top, maybe it'll work out. And maybe some of that stuff will correct and change and get better. I mean, I fully recognize that he can get better. I don't think this is like the worst value of the guys that we're going to talk about tonight at all, but I just have enough pause with him potentially hitting in the bottom third of an NL lineup with counting numbers and things of that nature. I just, that's pretty much all it is. I get that he could go 20, 30 in a perfect world, but I just don't see it personally, but I get that it's there. So you have to recognize that. Yeah. I th- I want to I think I said this on the last episode. You see where the upside is and how it could work out, but you're also seeing the downside and thinking that the risk is too high for whenever you could get a one of these other guys that feels a lot more secure in what you're getting. Plus, like you said, if you're hitting in the bottom of the lineup, the counting stats are not going to be there. He's young. He's strike. I I like that he's keeping his strikeout rate low. He isn't walking much, but he is at least getting the bat on the ball, even though albeit with a lot of weak contact. And I don't think that the Nats are just going to put him at the top of the lineup. 
I think he's going to have to hit his way into the top of the lineup. Like, I don't buy that they're going to put Trey in the three-hole unless Robles just comes out. Maybe in spring, even if spring training, if he really explodes in spring training, maybe they decide to do it. But he's going to have to earn his way up there, I think, even whether it be spring training, if they're going to base it off of that, or early in the regular season. Because I just I see guys like Eric Thames, and I see other guys that they have to hit in the middle lineup. I say Eric Thames. He's a really good versus right-handed hitters. There's no way I'm moving Trey to the three-hole. I'm putting Thames in that spot right there around Soto just because he's so good against righties. And if by any chance in the middle of the game you bring in a lefty to face him, you just pinch hit Ryan Zimmerman, who's also pretty steady against left-handed hitters, pitchers. So, yeah, I'm with you on Robles and I think it's too high. I don't see myself getting shares of him in redraft leagues. I have a dynasty share and I'm holding in hopes right now, but I'm also not opposed to moving him if somebody really wanted to pay on that price of thinking he's definitely going to be a star as compared to possibly going to be a star. I wouldn't be opposed to moving him, but okay. Yeah. I I think he's just a volatile guy. Like I, his peaks throughout the season will probably be high. I mean, he has enough talent to where he's going to have his moments for sure. But I think there's going to be lulls in there too, where he's just hurting you, honestly. So if you can get through that, I mean, obviously in a roto league, it all counts at the end. You know, he may be fine, but I just have enough pause with, I guess the main thing that I kind of left out too is with a guy like Robles, if you want him, He's young. He's exciting. You're going to have to be aggressive on him. Yep. There's going to be somebody in every draft who believes. Correct. And I just don't think that's going to be me. Yeah. Okay. Um, Who do we want to go into next? I guess we could talk about Tommy Pham. I think we've talked about him a little before when we talked about ADP Top 100. I really like the fact that he's gone to San Diego. I know a lot of people say going from Tampa to San Diego, that's not a good thing, but he's going to be hitting in one heck of a loaded lineup. And San Diego, historically, the last few years, I should say, they have been very, very liberal on the base paths and letting guys go. And I could see, despite the fact that he's 31, I could see this being a career year for him running with better counting stats just because he may be hitting in between Machado and Tatis. That's just a beautiful spot to be, despite the ballpark. What are your thoughts on Fam? Yeah, I, I think Fam's fine here. Um, he kind of just contributes across the board; doesn't really hurt you anywhere. Uh, his barrel percentage last year was a career low, seven point nine percent. So that's a little bit concerning. Dropped off a little bit from eighteen. Uh, His K rate did go from 24.6% to 18.8% from 18 to 19. So that's good. That's great. A lot of ground balls. With Petco, like I'm looking at his steamer projection of 25 homers. I'd be surprised. I'm taking the under, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely taking the under. The steals, though, I would take the over. I'd probably really just flip the homers and steals. They project them for 18. So I think it's going to be more like 18 homers, 25 steals, personally. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, good across-the-board contributor, you know. 
good batting eye, stuff like that. I mean, I think that there's a decent amount of floor there and an appealing lineup spot that he should have between Tatis and Machado. Agreed. Uh, yeah, and, you know, that steamer projection, I think that came out back when he was still with Tampa. And honestly, if he was still with Tampa, 24-18, I probably could have thought I could have bought that a lot more than I would if now that he's in San Diego. I do think the flip could be could be likely. All right, Joey Gallo, we have our first Facebook question of this podcast. Again, I posted on the Baseball 365 Facebook group. Uh, if you had any questions about outfielders to ask them, and I'm going to try to do this before every episode. So get in on, if you want to ask us a question and, and we'll read it on here, if it's a decent question and Jared LaRiviere, I hope I'm saying that right. Asked on Facebook what we felt Gallo's ceiling and floor was. And I thought it was an interesting question and I'm going to start off and then I'll let you go next, Andrew. And assuming health for starters, I feel Gallo has an incredibly close ceiling to floor if he's playing the whole season. And his season to me is probably like a 230, 240 batting average with cl- probably a close to a 400 OBP. But this guy's got 55 home run and 100, 110, 120 runs and RBI upside, probably more RBI than runs. That said... I don't believe he's a 253 hitter like he was last year, and I don't think he's going to hit 230 or 240 again unless he has a very high BABIP. That 253 average last year came with a 368 batting average of balls in play. His BABIP for his career is 275. He hits a lot of fly balls because he's trying to hit everything out of the park, and he does that pretty well, by, for the, by the way. And the swing and miss is usually in the 36 to 38% on the K rate, I mean. And it's almost impossible to hit 250 with a K rate that high. That said, you know that you should know that going in on Gallo. And as long as you can get some decent batting average players on your team around him, he is pretty fun to own because you're going to get a bunch of home runs. And the nice part about him, I don't remember last year, and I'm going to try pulling it up. I know the year before, at least, he still chipped in something like 10 steals and Oh, I'm I'm wrong. 2017, he had seven steals, and it was only three. He had three in 2018 and four in a half season last year. Which, so he'll get you a few steals. He's not a complete zero, but he's might get you high high single digits, maybe. So that's my take on ceiling and floor. Uh, you could answer that if you want, or you could just talk about Gallo. Floor is yours, Andrew. I think it's. I think what you said there is. Pretty spot on as far as ceiling and floor. Um, I mean, he's just the definition of three true outcome. Yep. Last last two years, in 58% of his plate appearances, I actually thought it would be higher than this, but in 58% of his plate appearances, last two years combined, he's either homered, struck out, or walked. <laughs> and that's 874 plate appearances a lot of fly balls, a lot of hard fly balls that go out of the park. Um, I don't really think he has uh, – guys like this are typically volatile. I don't really think he has a lot of playing time risk. He he actually led the Rangers in wins above replacement last year, Rangers hitters. 3.3. So, Inter- yeah. Wait a minute. Despite playing F, 70 games, he led them in war? I, be- I believe that's right. I checked <laughs> 
<laughs> I checked it last night, and I'm pretty positive that's right. That's amazing. Um, and his his uh, chase rate actually last year from 2018 dropped from 32% to 24%, which is good. That's good to see. Hence the rise in walk rate. I mean, I love his power. I honestly don't love this price. I like Gallo quite a bit for what he is just because he's a fun guy to root for to me. Like, it's just light tower power, and he's different. You know, like, there's not a lot of guys that do what he does and get get away with it. You know, it's just like how many guys actually can do this combination of things. But at 80 in a batting average league, I mean, I'll admit, I don't love it because he's going to probably hit 220, 230. I think his expected batting average last year was 229. So, yeah, I mean, that that part is just, it's definitely going to hurt your team. And like I said, in an overall competition where you're like trying to win a big overall prize pool, it's hard, it's hard to stomach that batting average in this spot. Now, granted, OBP completely different. Prob- yeah, it's completely different. He should probably be going higher than this. Seventeen point five percent walk rate last year, and the two previous year, you know, that was only like a half season. But the two previous years, fourteen and twelve percent. So he's always walked a ton, and um, I think he's good real life player, good fantasy player. You know, pretty much exactly what you're getting. In an OBP league, he might be a top 30 player. <laughs> it's crazy, the difference. He might move up 50 slots just because the OBP and batting average is so so different. He blends in with his OBP. His at batting average, it, it's, a ne- it's the biggest negative you can draft in there unless you draft somebody really bad late, which nobody does. Okay. Um, let's see. Next up, we'll move on to Loriano. Have I heard you say that you think he's undervalued this year, or am I making that up? Uh, no, I think I think it's about right here. I, I feel like it's actually kind of trendy. If you would have told me in October, like, what will Loriano's ADP be in February and March, I would have probably said lower than this. So oh, okay. people, are, people are definitely catching on. Uh, Everything looks pretty good. He contributes well across the board. 288 career hitter. I think he's more like a 270 guy. But uh, if you put his projection on fan graphs into the auction calculator, he actually comes out as the 92nd best hitter. And that's just hitters. And his ADP is at 80. So you could even make the argument he's a little overvalued here. His walk percentage dropped from 9 percent to 5.6 percent but everything i mean it mostly looks good you know he's going to be in the lineup because he's got one of the strongest arms in the league plays a great center field and um a lot of his stuff is kind of trending up a little bit i think he's solid pick here not my favorite pick but solid i'm really surprised with the projections for his runs and rbi for 147 games 76 and 79, despite the fact that he hits in a really good lineup. I mean, Oakland is a really, really good lineup to pit in. That is, that seems low for them. I'm wondering where they 
I'm wondering where they're projecting him to hit in the lineup. That's my question. Because sometimes, well, they yeah, second, I guess, on roster resource. Yeah, that's weird. Hmm. I don't know, because that's, I want to say Chapman hit second a lot last year. I don't know why they would that would flip, but I don't know. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to Jorge Soler, who went from nine home runs in 61 games with the Royals to 48 last year in 162 games. That's something you don't see often. Soler played in every single game last year, and he sure exploded. I remember he was one of my bold predictions saying he'd break out and hit 20, 25 20 to 30 home runs, and, well, I was only halfway there. So he had a breakout. What are your thoughts on him here at this top of the sixth round coming off this monster season? Is it are, is the risk are, – are you worried about a risk of a big step back or do you think it's legit? Uh, I think it's pretty legit. He had the – I know I mentioned it when we were talking about Bregman in the previous episode, but he had the most home runs in baseball on the road last year, 27. And in the second half, he hit 299 and was 10th in, in war among hitters. So really good second half. His walk rate doubled from the first half to the second half from 7% to 14%. And 277 expected batting average for the season. So lots of like, a lot of power, uh, type of guy that if you're in this spot, I mean, you you could make the argument in a batting average league for him over Gallo, I think, and they're in the similar spot. But that's a good point. Mostly, mostly just to do with the fact that they're similar, aside from the batting average, and I think Soler probably hits for the higher average. I mean, Gallo has has the higher power ceiling, obviously, but Soler's isn't terribly far off. So yeah, it's all about if you believe in the power, because if you believe yeah. in the power, you definitely got to take him ahead of Gallo, because. Most everything else should be pretty close to even, except that batting average should be higher. Huh. Yeah, with this group, with this group, it's just different guys, you know, like Robles, Fam, and Loreano. They're a little, they're kind of more similar, and Gallo, Soler, same thing. So, as far as how you're ordering them, it's just a team construction thing. You know, you could take any of these guys first or fifth of the group. Yeah, I agree. We'll move on to the next list. Uh, starting at 24, Jeff McNeil. We will discuss him on the second base podcast, so I won't go too much further in, and we'll go on to the next tier, which is 25 to 29, and that would be Eddie Rosario with Twins at 91, Luis Robert, the signed soon-to-be rookie outfielder with the White Sox at 100, Trey Mancini, who we've already discussed on the first base podcast, is at 103, Andrew Benatendi at 107, and Marcel Ozuna with the new signed with the Braves now at 108 on this list, Andrew, I'll ask this again, who would you be likely to take first of this group? I think it's pretty easily Robert. Okay. So you're going to shoot for the, go for the rookie with the big upside, huh? Well, we can just talk about him first, I guess, but, um, he's here at a hundred. He's not going a hundred. Like that number is going straight up. 
And I'm not going to get Robert probably in any drafts, but this is this ADP here is just a little off because of the signing on, I think it was January 2nd. I looked yesterday at his ADP since January 2nd, the day he signed, mm-hmm. and it's 80, it's 86. Okay, so he's moving and into I, the next tier. Yeah, and I think that that number is only going up. I think it's going to wind up. I think the highest he's going is 55 in a draft, and uh, which is like the late fourth round. And I think he's going to go close to that pretty regularly come March. I, I just don't think he really belongs here. Now, now again, if it's one where it's most likely to draft, I mean, I'm not sure I'm most likely to get him of this group. But if I have my choice between anyone in this group, I mean, he's worth the shot at 100 at this point for sure. You know, a lot of times in March, guys who maybe have a weaker hit tool, because that's something that that's the one question with Robert. I think everything else everybody feels is incredibly electric. And how's the hit tool going to do in the majors? A lot of those guys can come up in spring training where people are just getting their work in and you're facing sometimes you're more likely to be facing weaker pitching. Those guys can have monster spring trainings. I've seen it happen before. If you get the toolsy guys whose hit tool is the question. He could absolutely explode. And I it wouldn't surprise me if he's like the player of the spring. And then if that's the case, what you're saying about him just continuing to move up and possibly get himself into the top 60, maybe that's happening in March. Yeah, I think, I think he's going to wind up, if I just had to guess, and I'm not saying that I would do this. I'm just saying as a whole... I think he's going to wind up in like that 60 range, 60 to maybe 70. And, um, man, I don't know. It's, it's aggressive. I mean, it's definitely aggressive. It, he's one of 12 guys projected to go 2020. Obviously he's never set foot in the major leagues, 32 homers, 36 steals last year across three levels of the minors. And in his career in the minors in 200 games played, 312, 381, 551 slash line. Jeez. I mean, it's really good, you know? And I know there's swing and miss. I get that there's some level of risk when you draft a guy like this. But at pick 100, with knowing he's going to be up on opening day, it's worth the risk. The question is, how far above that are you willing to go? I'm probably not willing to go as far as some because I definitely see the risk. But if you can get him at pick 100, take him. Seventh hmm. round, I mean, I, I think that's fine. Good stuff there. 32 home runs, 36 stolen bases last year. And that's in yeah. basically 120 games in the minors. What a season he had. I mean, he was the talk of last year in the spring training or in the minor leagues. And yeah, I want to do uh, – oh, sorry. Nope, go ahead. No, I just wanted to touch on uh, Rosario. Yes. Uh, Eddie Rosario. If you believe in his steamer projection, I don't have it pulled up. Do you have it pulled up by chance? Right now I do. 30 home runs, 284 batting average, five stolen bases. And runs and ribbies? Uh, runs and ribbies would be 86 and 103. So... By steamer, that's projected to be the 36th best hitter. 
wow. for the season. If you believe in that projection, you should absolutely draft him at 91. There's like it's abs- there's just no debate to it. Um, I do think with Rosario that his lack of plate discipline is horrible plate discipline. 131st of 135 qualified hitters in walk rate last year. Uh-huh. It just never walks. If he, I, I think that that leaves him susceptible to like a pretty steep drop off. Like he could just fall off a cliff at kind of any point because of that. But based on what he's done recently, I I don't know. I think you could definitely make the argument that it's a really good pick here too. I tried to see that side of it because I kind of have it in the past with him a little bit. So what do you think of Rosario overall? I don't have too many thoughts on him. I think I remember hearing, listening to a podcast, or it may have been Matt Williams on Twitter. I was just sitting here searching, trying to find the tweet I'd seen that somebody talking about how he was in, he was incredibly undervalued here. And I think that's why they were they were thinking what he did last year was real. And for for what you said, if you're thinking last year is real, then he's severely underpriced here. And it's crazy a 3.7 percent walk rate for for the season he had and he actually had a 3.7 percent walk rate but like you said he puts the bat on the ball makes real good pretty good contact so yeah i i think of this group honestly he's probably the one i like the most i think i'd be willing to take like i'm not saying i would take him ahead of robert like you said but I think he'd be the one of this group I'm most likely to draft at this point. I've, we'll talk about the others here in a bit. But, yeah, I find him intriguing at that spot right there as we're talking. The, now we're in the seventh round. It's probably an underrated thing with Rosario, too, like the counting stats. You're going to get runs and ribbies oh, in, the yes, you of, are. in the middle of the Twins lineup. I mean, it's very easy when you're, at least for me, and I think in general, but it's very easy to discount runs and RBIs because it can kind of bounce around a little bit and you don't always exactly know what you're getting as much as some of the other stats, which are more skill-based, so to say. But uh, if he's hitting where he's been hitting in that Twins lineup, which I believe has been third, isn't that mm-hmm. where he's been kind of plugged in for the most right part? Right in the middle somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, it's just one of those things where the runs and RBI are inevitable. I mean, he's going to be better in those categories than Robert. I could almost guarantee it as long as he sticks there. So with the addition of Josh Donaldson, roster resource has him hitting fifth this year, which is still perfectly fine, especially if you're hitting right behind Nelson Cruz and Josh Donaldson, not speedsters by any means, but guys who get on base. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he could have a heyday with the, on the RBI department again. Yeah, definitely. Andrew Benatendi, his star is fading fast. I went and looked up the top outfielders from last year. We talked about it on the last episode. He was going at the 2-3 wheel at 29 overall. And now he's down here at pick 90, 90, 107, actually. are Where are you at with this fading on him? Are you thinking the hate's gone too far, or do you think you could buy at this price? I've kind of gone back and forth on Benintendi. Early on, I was definitely more in. Now I question it more the more I look at it. 
last year was just so it, it's one of those things like with Ben and Tendy, I've always had it in my head. This guy's a good hitter. Mm-hmm. He's going to hit. And last year was just so different than everything he's ever done. Uh, his swinging strike rate, 7.6% in 17, 7.6% in 18, jumped, 11 point, jumped to 11.6% last year. Um, and he was just swinging more overall balls in the zone, but also balls out of the zone chase rate way up. K rate went from 16% to 22%. So way up. I think it just, I think it requires a little bit of a leap of faith that he is going to revert to what he was before last season. If he's anything close to what he was last season, this is not a good pick. So it just depends on how much you believe in that. And I think that this ADP is a little bit of a hedge. I mean, if he reverts to what he was, it's a value. But if he doesn't, it isn't at all. It's a bad pick, like I said. So it's it's a little bit of a hedge. There's going to be people in both camps. I'm still kind of waffling on him. I'm not really sure because I've always just had this side of me that's tugging at me saying that Ben Benintendi's a good hitter. He's going to figure it out. He's in a loaded lineup. He's a value. But then I look at this other stuff that he did last year, and it's just – it's tough. It's definitely troubling. Uh, average mediocre is the words I look at when I, when I think of when I look at his stat cast page. When you go to Baseball Savant, hard hit rate, 42nd percentile amongst hitters, 40th percentile in exit velocity. Expected batting average slightly above average, 59%, but just it's not a lot of – you don't see any elite skill, which I know that's the thing we've always said about him is he's – but the thing was he was supposed to be the guy that was really good at everything but not great, and right yeah. now he's just more average. So something's got to change with him, and I'm not ruling it out. I, I think he can become that player still, but – I am not going to go out of my way to draft him. I think it was you that used this line when you were in a draft. If it wasn't you, I heard this from somebody else who was thinking about taking Ben Attendee around the spot, like 107, one, somewhere in that range, a little before or after. And the quote I heard was, why would I take Ben Attendee right now when I can take Adam Eaton a lot later? And yeah, what's, what's I, the difference? I think that might have been me. I thought so too. I didn't want to say it for sure, but that's a great line because yeah, yeah, you got to fill a five outfield slots, but you're also wanting to take the, if you're going to take something earlier, take something that you can't get later. And if you can get pretty close to the same guy. Yeah. Ben Attendee definitely has more of a ceiling, like in a best case scenario season, he's definitely better than Adam Eaton's best case scenario season. But, um, yeah, and I think I, I'll I take the floor. I mean, especially when you consider that it's about a hundred pick difference. Yeah, you know that's kind of the tipping point there. So, yep. So Christopher James asked us, "What does the Ozuna signing with Atlanta do for his value? What are your thoughts going from St. Louis to Atlanta? I would think that's a good thing, isn't it?" Yeah, I would. I would think. I didn't look up. 
the ballpark stuff, like the difference in um, the ballpark situation just for right-handed power hitters between Atlanta and St. Louis. So I don't have that. Uh, Ozuna, barrel percentage since 2015 by season, 6%, 7 7.8%, 9.3%, 9.7%, 12.6% last year. Career high. Career high, 11% walk rate last year. I would completely ignore the 241 batting average. He's 272 over seven seasons. Uh-huh. And his expected batting average last year was 288. It was the seventh biggest gap from like negative to positive. And the six guys above him were mostly irrelevant guys. So the 241, I think you can just throw out. But yeah, you gotta like him. I mean, he's probably a sleeper to lead the NL in RBI with all the guys hitting in front of him. I assume he's gonna slot in fourth, kind of where Donaldson was, and maybe put up a similar season to Donaldson. Even I, I could buy Ozuna here. Yeah. Let me ask you this then: Which one of these sounds more enticing? Because he's schedule, he's roster resource has him in the four slot, and that's exactly where I think he'll be. Because I don't think he's leapfrogging any of the top three. But the which which set of three guys would you rather hit behind? Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, and Freddie Freeman, or Dexter Fowler, Colton Wong, and Paul Goldschmidt. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one. That's uh, a tough one. Like you said, leading the league in RBI, he would definitely be one of the guys that I would have near the top of the list as a candidate because those three in front of him, Freeman's just an OBP monster. Acuna's electric and Albie's electric. He could have a heyday, 120 to 130 RBI and lead the league. I could see it. I'm not saying he'll do it, but I can yeah. I can paint a picture and see it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I I could see it too. I don't really I don't really see how going to Atlanta is going to be a negative. I mean, anyone can have randomly have a down season, but it's he's in a cozy spot here, so. And see how it goes. You said you haven't looked at ballpark factors. I know St. Louis is known as a pitcher's park, for so I think Atlanta's a pitcher's park too. Maybe it's more neutral. I know. I, I'm almost certain. I would bet money without even looking that it's not a downgrade. It's. A, I would think yeah. it's at worst a net neutral. Yeah, I kind of assumed that without looking. Okay, well, let's take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to get into move into the 30s with the outfielders. Okay, we are back, and we are going to move from the next, move into the next tier of four outfielders that are all going within five picks of each other. Thirty to thirty-four here. Nicholas Castellanos, newly signed outfielder for the Reds, now is at one thirteen. Yasiel Puig, who's still a free agent, is one fourteen. Oscar Mercado, who had a pretty decent rookie season with the Indians, is one sixteen. And Michael Conforto, another nice. Had another nice season with the Mets at 117. As I said, these guys are four picks between each other. 
Does it? Does any of them stand out as a guy you'd be have as your one? Uh, not really. I think it with these four, it's a little team construction dependent too. Uh, they were ranked by Steamer Projection. I believe it was Castellanos, Conforto, Puig, Mercado. It's probably how I would rank them, or at least close. Uh, Castellanos, I mean, solid profile, power and average. I think that I was definitely down on him last year. For anybody who listened, I kind of of crapped all over Castellanos last year. But keep in mind, this time last year, he was in Detroit. And things are obviously different now. I mean, that matters quite a bit, at least for me. I mean, I'm always thinking about that stuff. And he's just kind of bumped his across-the-board skill set up a little bit when you do that. I mean, obviously improve the lineup. Now he's going to the best hitters park he's ever been in. So I could see a career high in homers potentially. He's just solid. You kind of know what you're getting. Same with Conforto. I feel similar with those two. With Conforto, it's one thing I was a little surprised with. You know Michael Conforto, over 2,000 career plate appearances, is a career 253 hitter. You wouldn't have guessed that when he was coming up. That guy was not supposed to be a 250 hitter. He was supposed to be the hit tool with 20, 20 to 25 home runs is what people yeah. said he was. Yeah, I just noticed that. and I was like, gosh, isn't that kind of disappointing? I mean, and it's, yep. it's a fairly large sample. I don't like citing batting averages in a lot of cases, but I just thought it was interesting. I mean, good walk rate, 13%, three straight years. I think he's solid. Uh, Puig. Last two years, and I noticed this because I kind of check this out with a lot with most of the guys when I'm going through them. But the last two years, Puig has 20, 20 home runs on fastballs and 25 home runs on off speed and breaking pitches. Hmm. I'll tell you right, I'll tell you right now, there's hardly anyone that has less on or less on fastballs than breaking pitches. So I just I thought it was interesting, considering over is roughly two thirds of the total pitches thrown to him are fastballs. I just thought that was uh, something that kind of jumped off the page. But Puig's fine too. I mean, just one of those things. If you're looking for a few more steals, obviously over Castellanos and Conforto, he's going to give you some of that. And then with Mercado, I think Mercado is just one of those guys that he's better in fantasy than real life because of the steals, but. I don't really like his profile as a hitter. I just think he's a below-average hitter for the most part. I mean, I think I want to say he was a little above last year, but some of the stuff just wasn't lining up for me. And I don't know. I don't love Mercado here unless you are like in this spot and desperate for steals. I mean, he should give you that. I want to say he's projected for low twenties. So of these, guy, of these guys, he's the most reliable for that. I kind of link at him a little bit. I was thinking about this to like a light, light version of Starling Marte. Like not as good in real life as he is in fantasy because of the speed and just like decent at everything else. 
I mean, obviously, I don't like him as much as Starling Marte, but um, yeah, I was just thinking about that when I was kind of looking at him and his like lack of walks and everything like that. So it's funny. I was thinking of him as slightly better, meaning Marco with full time playing time. Yeah, that's, that's that fair. was the comp that's I was thinking. Too. So we're kind of right. To be, to be clear, before I start throwing stones, I'm. I'm not saying he's Starling Marte. I, I just think that <laughs> as I looked at it, I was like, yeah, if you kind of look at this line, it's just a little bit less across the board than what, what Marte would do. So if you if believe you, in him, I mean. If you told me Marco was getting full-time playing time this year, I would project something similar to what what they have projected for um, Mercado. That's Interesting. I really hadn't thought of that comp until you said Marte. I was like, man, that's strong. And then I thought of Margot. Kind of interesting there. Yeah, I guess the main thing with Mercado is I just don't really trust him as a hitter. So you just have to believe that the playing time and the steals will be there. And if they are, I mean, that that has a good amount of value in today's fantasy game. So what do you think of these guys? Well, I want to – I, I – think they're all kind of interesting. I think I like Castellanos more now that he's moved to the Reds. I like Puig. I drafted Puig in a redraft league last year and was very happy with the production I got out of him. And that's the question. My next question for you, actually, do you, are you, the, is the fact that he's unsigned here now, is it wavering you at all in terms of what, does that affect at all what you're thinking of him right now? No. I figured you'd say yeah. that given last year we said the same thing about Machado and Harper. The only thing that it affects is I just wonder where he's going to go, but I'm not worried about him not getting signed. So, no, not right now. If it if we get to the point where it's early to mid-March and he still isn't signed, then yeah. But right now, no, it doesn't bother me at all. Just please don't sign with the Marlins or something like that. <laughs> That's kind of what I think of when I think of Puig right now because – I, I mean, he signed with the Reds last year, and they weren't I, – I think the Reds thought they were going to be good, but I don't know if anybody else did. But, um, yeah, outside of that, Mercado, I, I like getting Mercado just because steals are hard to find, and I think he's all right as a fantasy player, like you said. And you said he's a better fantasy player than war real-life player. His war wins above replacement was only 1.7 in 115 games, so that backs up what you were saying there. And Conforto, yeah, he's fine. Power, weak batting average. I would, I, he's fourth on my on this list for me for sure, just because power is easier to come by and power with a weak batting average. Eh, I'm I'm not too excited about it. Okay, uh, moving on to the next tier, we got Danny Santana at 34. We've already discussed him on the first base podcast. And next, we move on to two Houston Astros. I've just got these guys in their own tier because they're going right next to each, really, really close together, I should say, right there with Danny Santana, who we've already discussed. And that is Michael Brantley at 128 and Kyle Tucker at 132. This feels like the definition of a steady veteran with a very high floor versus the youngster with a very high ceiling and a very low floor. So... And in redraft leagues, who you got and how close are they? In redraft, Brantley, and it's really not close. Not as close as this shows. Kyle Tucker is one of my least favorite prices in the draft right now. I I get that it could work out. 
but man, there's some serious downside risk. Would it shock you if he was in AAA on opening day? So here's the thing. I'm glad. Uh, no, no, it wouldn't. I'm glad that you kind of put these guys together because it's obviously just easy to talk about them yes. versus each other, even though I don't really think redraft-wise they're cl- that close. But um, the thing with Tucker, and I was actually thinking about this when I was going through for this show. I'm not sure that there is a guy in the entire league that I am more unsure of what to expect this season. than mm-hmm. Like last year, 125 games in the minors, 34 homers, 30 steals. It wound up only being coming with a 113 WRC plus because it's the PCL and everybody goes nuts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then it's like, he's been this highly touted prospect coming up It's for what seems like a while now. I mean, it's getting a little, uh, just starting to feel like, okay, come on, we need to see it like with him, but I think he should get an opportunity this year. I don't know when it's going to be. If you told me that he went 2020 and hit 270, 280 and played the majority of the season in the lineup, that wouldn't surprise me. Agreed. If you told me at the end of the year he had 200 plate appearances in the majors, that wouldn't really surprise me either. I just have – and I don't have a strong – like it's not like I really like him or I really don't. And my expectation, it's not like it's really high or it's really low. I have no clue, honestly. I have no clue what they're going to do. I don't know if he has a job. He may have a job. Like – there's just so many parts here that confuse that confuse the hell out of me. I, I was thinking about it, like I said, and it's just one of those things where with Kyle Tucker, you could spit out so many different things, like whatever you say, and I'd be like, Yeah, I could see it. I'm gonna use a poker analogy here. So for you non poker players, I apologize in advance because you're just gonna roll your eyes at this. But imagine sitting at a poker table in a tournament. And there's you're in first position. You're the first guy to move, and you got a king jack suited, and you move all in. It may work out, <laughs> but you know what? That doesn't mean it's the right play. And taking Kyle Tucker 132nd is like pushing all in in first position with king jack suited. That's my take on Kyle Tucker. <laughs> That's awesome. I love, I love that. <laughs> I just thought of it. I'm like, that is this is the perfect analogy here. Yeah. Um, Real oh, quick on, on Brantley, uh, Fangraph's dollars earned. He's projected to be the 67th hitter. So 128, it's great. I've always loved Brantley. We've talked about it multiple times. I feel like he could randomly hit 330 at any mm-hmm. point. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Real steady, doesn't walk a lot, but he doesn't K. Playing time's pretty locked in. I mean, when you're looking at these two, Kyle Tucker, you know, if he's getting the playing time is going to probably have, well, he'll have more stolen bases, but other than that, there's really no argument. I don't feel like he's not a better hitter. Could he hit more home runs in a full season? Maybe. I think I would project it if they had the same plate appearances, but it's not by much. Will he get that and all that? There's just so many more question marks. So it's really (laughs) tough. I, I tell you, like I said, I, I have a really hard time with Kyle Tucker. I just don't know. 
One of the best stats you gave last year during the preseason was talking about 2018 with Michael Brantley. If I, I'm hoping I got this right, but I think you said he went like 40 games without a swinging strike or something like that. A pitch uh, swing, in the zone. In the zone, yeah. Yeah, swing, in the zone. Swinging strike in the zone, yeah. Which is just absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> 40 games. Yeah, Brant, Brantley's an incredible hitter. So, over under 400 at-bats for Tucker this year. You just said uh, that might surprise you either way, and I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think I would lean under. I agree. I have not, no real – I have. I don't have real confidence in it. But th- we're just saying the risk is there. And I got to say – if you could have told me who they were going to hire as manager and would be the worst possible guy, I think it would be for Kyle Tucker. My answer would have been Dusty Baker had I thought about it long enough. Yeah. And they hired yeah. Dusty Baker. And I'm not saying that means he's not going to get the at-bats. I'm just saying I couldn't think of a worse guy to get hired and think Kyle T- and project bat- at-bats for Kyle Tucker. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. I was actually going to tie dusty into this somehow it's like it almost just adds to my confusion <laughs> with the, with the whole thing i mean i guess you could maybe say it makes it more of a certainty that he won't play but josh uh, reddick i mean dusty likes the veterans josh reddick i could see dusty's a player's manager josh reddick's a a clubhouse guy that people love and respect that just seems like a marriage made in heaven right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like one of those things. I I think most of us that follow this stuff and um play fantasy baseball, we know that Kyle Tucker is better than Josh Reddick. I mean, it's it's like like I think I even said this before too, but if Kyle Tucker comes up and starts playing full-time and is a disappointment and doesn't isn't really working out and isn't he just Josh Reddick? Yes. You know, it's like, and that's where it, the whole situation is just so, it's just so messed up. Like it, I feel like he should definitely be getting the shot over Reddick, but probably won't just because that's, uh, that's what happens sometimes. So what do you, I got a question for, what do you, uh, I know you didn't have this on here, but what do you think for like dynasty with Tucker? How do you feel about it? <laughs> Huh, I've got a share, and I think you still have a share in a dynasty, don't you? Yeah, I do. I didn't think you had moved him. I know you've had a plenty of trade talks. I think I'd be holding. I'm, I've held on to him in Rotomasters too. I've had people bring him up in trade talks, and I've never felt like the people that are talking about him are buying high right now. Uh, I think yeah. there is a lot of trepidation to where I think he's a hold. Yeah. Because... You know, you, I just don't think you can get full value, and I wouldn't want to sell him now. I'd just hold on to him and see if he explodes because he could easily explode, like you said. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I I do think we're kind of at the point that if he comes up and starts getting full-time at-bats and struggles, that his, va- yeah, that his value is really going to drop quite a bit. I think we're at that point. Yep. Because it's just taken it's taken so long and or at least it feels like it has to me and I'm, I'm assuming has. to others, but 
just one of those things where when that happens and then the struggle happens, people are just going to start throwing their arms up, you know, and I, I do think that it'll hurt his value. But for now, yeah, I think I'm holding. Yeah. Unless you believe that that's going to happen, you hold. Okay. Let's move on to the next tier. We've got a bunch of power bats here from 37 to 41. We got Max Kepler at 145. So we're talking about the 10th, 11th round here with these guys. David Dahl with the Rockies at 146, 38th overall. Fran Mill Reyes at 39. Kyle Schwarber with the Cubs at 40. Might I add, Fran Mill Reyes, just a reminder, he's with the Indians now. And Aristides Aquino with the Reds at 154. I lumped him in just because he felt like he was pretty similar to a lot of these other guys here. A uh, bunch of sluggers and David Dahl being the entry-prone athletic one mixed in. Do these guys feel close together? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Uh, I feel like with Kepler, and I will admit I've been wrong on Kepler. I'll fully admit it. Uh, I feel like at 145, he's a little bit of a steal. I, I think you can argue this is Michael Conforto. 30 picks later. That's maybe, a great comp. Maybe better. I was looking at their numbers, and I really don't actually even see much of an argument to take Conforto ahead of Kepler. Unless you just believe in him more going forward, but just based on what's happened, I, I don't know. You know, Especially when you consider the 30-pick difference. But, um, yeah, I, I think Kepler's actually underrated here. I'm not sure if that'll turn into me owning him or not, but uh, I think 145 is a pretty good price. I'm glad you said that because I asked the question the way I did, but that was going to be my response coming back was, I don't think they're all close together because I think Kepler is significantly ahead of the group, and it's not because he's number one. I just think looking at the other guys, I'm like, man, there should be a bigger gap between him and these guys. I just feel better about what he did. Guy doesn't strike out, and he changed – I think he changed his swing. I remember reading something about some significant changes. I mean, his fly ball rate actually is about the no, it it it's but yeah, it's the same as it was in 2018. Hard hit rate definitely up, but I I remember hearing a real good breakdown on him by Matt Williams. I've plugged him plenty of times on Twitter. And he talked about how real this is and doing some real deep dives. He said I buy into it, so you should buy him at this price because he's undervalued because he's only done this for one year, and he buys it. And I think I'm with him there. I think he belongs ahead of this group. Yeah, it's totally fair. Okay, well, David Dahl, we'll go into him. We were both singing his praises in the Outfield podcast last year. I have huge predictions for him at the on the season preview. I know I predicted something like 35 home runs and 20 steals. I think that's exactly what I had. And finishing, I think, top, maybe, I might have even said he's the top Colorado Rocky performer. I might have said that. I can't remember. Oops. And his ADP sure has cooled after another injury-prone season. Have you cooled on him also? Oh boy, I'm gonna need to go to rehab for this one. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've cooled on him for sure. I traded him in a dynasty league uh, about two weeks ago. 
I still got him in one, and I'm actually glad that I still have him in one. Just because, in case. Just in case. Because <laughs> if, it, uh, if it happens this year, I've got to have a small piece of it, but it's probably going to be a small piece because I don't think I'm going to get him anywhere else. The thing, the thing with Dahl that's really just kind of changed a lot of the outlook on him, obviously the injuries have always been the elephant in the room. I mean, he is always been hurt and to the point you know to the point even with a hitter where you kind of have to build some of that in you can't expect him to play a full season he never has you know last year I think that the 100 games he played last year were the most he's played pretty much any season even through the minors well no there was I guess there was a couple seasons where he was in the minors where it was a little bit more than that but not much I mean he's never really played a full season some of his, uh, like a lot of his batted bro- ball profile is consistent. I mean, he did hit a few less fly balls, but the main thing with him now is I just don't really trust him to get steals anymore. Yeah. I, I don't feel like, like in a perfect world, you know, in 2015, he stole 22 bases at double A. In 2016, between double A, triple A, and the majors, he stole 22 bases. And since then, in 2017, 2018, and 2019, he's stolen 11 bases. And add in the injury last year and just the injuries that he has had throughout, I just feel like you can't really expect stolen bases at this point. And that just kind of dimmens the outlook for him. Because when I had the rosy outlook, it was always, you know, dreaming on 30-20, you know, or something something in that range with a good batting average. I still think that he can hit 280, 290, 300, whatever. I still think he can be a plus in batting average. I think he can be fine in power. And Rockies lineup, Coors Field, obviously that stuff is good. And if he stays healthy, you're probably going to get value out of this pick. But when you say if he stays healthy with David Dahl and you and you add in the fact that he's unlikely to run, I just feel like he's unlikely to steal. It it just it's just not as exciting for me as it was. Not even really that close, to be honest. He's the new age hitting version of Mark Pryor. Yeah. <laughs> or Carrie. Yeah, it's like, man, this guy has so much potential, but it's just he can't stay healthy. He's had so many injuries. Yeah. Anything else on these guys before moving on? Anybody else you want to talk about? Fran Mill, Schwarber, Aquino? Yeah, so these three, um, I was kind of looking at all of them together because I feel like with – Fran Mills, Schwarber, and Aquino, they're going, you know, here they're going six picks apart. So they're all kind of in the same range. And I was just kind of comparing them against each other. I think, so just looking at with Fran Mill and Schwarber, Fran Mill, I would take him in, in an average league. Schwarber, I would take in an OBP league. I think they're close. I think Fran Mill has maybe a smidge more home run potential but not much i think it's close they're pretty close to the same guy other than 
Schwarber just walks a lot. Mm-hmm. Frandell doesn't. And then I started looking at Aquino, and and I just got to tell you, like I don't at all think Aquino is in this group with these guys. I mean, by ADP, he is. And good or bad? Bad. I think Aquino sucks. Okay, let's hear it because <laughs> this is a very, this is a very, what's the word, Div- divisive player. As you talk, as you yeah. hear people talk about him, so you're on the negative here. Let's hear it. Yeah, it just, I, I just don't see like if you have these three, if you get to this spot in the draft, so you're at late round ten, like early round eleven in a fifteen team league, and you need power. Take Fran Mill, take Schwarber. Do not take Aquino, please. Last year he came up. Obviously, he set the world on fire. In August, he hit 320. He had a 185 WRC+. Plus. In September, he hit 196 with a 52 WRC+. Plus. Is that good? It's terrible. <laughs> when he came up, let's be honest, no one expected him to do what he did in August. No, no one. It's not like we were going... Oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, every day everybody was like, "Oh my god, what is going on? This guy is just completely blowing up." Yeah, and he then, broke records, didn't he? Right. Did he yeah, break yeah. some records for like the most home runs to start the career? Yeah, first 10 games or something, 15 games, yeah. And then it all faded. Like we expected it to. I mean, nobody thought that that was going to continue. So, take all of that Add in that you can just take Fran Mill or Schwarber instead, who, by the way, are both much more proven with what they do. I mean, we know what Fran Mill is by now. We know what Schwarber is by now. Add on to it that in the Reds' outfield, and there's no DH. I'm glad you're about to say this. At least not yet. You have, and I'm not saying these guys are world beaters, but I'm just saying that they're all candidates for playing time. Nick Castellanos, uh, Akiyama, the guy that they got from overseas, mm-hmm. obviously Aquino, Jesse Winker, which whatever you think of him, he's a candidate to get at bats, and Nick Senzel, who's basically been their top prospect, has some health issues, but you know is going to be fighting his way in there too. Like, I think that a potential demotion is even in play with Aquino. If he oh, yeah. comes out and he's struggling and he's swinging and missing. And this team's I, trying to win right now. Right. I mean, there's enough other guys and it's, it's just no lock. If you go off of his, uh, his steamer projection, just what steamer has him projected for. And I don't have it pulled up. I'm trying to get to it here. He's projected to finish as the number 150th hitter, and we're at an ADP of 154. And we're talking hitters. And the 245th overall player. His steamer projection is 241, which I'm not even sure he hits that, but okay. 28 homers, which I actually think is that's pretty good. I mean, now some will argue that his ceiling is higher than that. Mm-hmm. And if he stays in the lineup all year, it may be 60 runs, 76 ribbies, 
and uh, six stolen bases. So he'll give you a handful of steals that maybe the other two won't. But yeah, it just when you get to this spot in this draft in the draft and any draft that I'm in, if it's like, oh man, I need power, I will jump to take Fran Mill or Schwarber and make sure I get them over Aquino. Like it's not even, it's just not even close to me. Yeah. All good points. And I'm assuming, you know, like the steamer projections for only 400, for 483 at bats, 113 games. And that's probably because that OBP is sitting there at 295. And if, if he's hitting at a 295 or if his OBP is 295 and they're trying to compete with all those other bats, he's not getting playing time. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I just, I think that there's at least, it's at least a possibility. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm sitting here projecting him to lose all of his playing time or anything like that. But when you kind of add all of this up, it just, it just smells a little funny to me. I mean, especially when you add in that he had easily the highest swinging strike rate of these three guys, the projections don't add up. If he does hit what Fran Mill's projection is, it's the 110th overall player, so I guess you're turning a little bit of a profit. But, yeah, his... The risk outweighs hit. the reward there. Yeah, there's just not that much reward, even if it does all come together and he gets the playing time. The hard hit rate's lower than both of those guys. I mean, Fran Mill and Schwarber are just miles better than Aquino. Yeah. So. Take Schwarber, take Fran Mill, or wait. There's more power guys you can take later that I think I'd rather have yeah. than him. Right. Yeah, I'm not even saying that you have to take one of those three, but if you wanted to, I just think that those two are firmly ahead. So, Yes. Okay, well, let's take a quick break, and we're going to move move on into the 40s here with uh, when we get back. Okay, we're back, and we got another tier of four outfielders to talk about here. Lourdes Gariel with the Toronto Blue Jays is at 158, so we're now into the 11th round with these four guys that are all going within five picks of each other. Malik Smith with Seattle at 159. Byron Buxton, the guy who I think two years ago was a third, fourth rounder in drafts. He's down at 162. Willie Calhoun with the Texas Rangers after having a good, really good half season. At 162 also. Now, when I, I think just about every fantasy player can look at this list of these four outfielders and have at least one guy that they want nothing to do with because none of them feel perfectly safe here. But I bet I could also find at least they that they really like one of these outfielders. So, Andrew, who would be the outfielder you'd like on this list? And which ones are you like, I don't want anything to do with? Do you have one of at least one of each? I definitely want nothing to do with Malik Smith. Really? The speed guy where the, the category hard to find. That's interesting. Why? I just think he's a fourth outfielder. I don't know when it's going to come, but... I mean, pretty much with Malik's, he's fast. He can't hit. I think he's going to be phased out soon. I don't know if it's going to be June, July, 
September or 2021. I mean, it might not be this year. He did lead the league in steals, which some would say is valuable, but he also has absolutely no power. In this game today, when you carry guys that hit you like three to five home runs, you're just so far behind in power. And I just don't think Malik Smith is worth it. Like, to me, they have too many other pretty decent options, really. I mean, Seattle's not a good team, but they have outfielders. Yes, they they do. Hanniger, they have Kyle Lewis, they've got Kellenic coming up, they've got Julio coming up. Granted, not all this may be this year, and I may be overstating the short-term impact that Malik could have. I mean, I know he led the league in steals. I know steals are hard to find, but I don't want to be like, oh my God, I need steals in the 11th round, because I've already taken care of that, at least I would hope, you know? If you have to draft Malik Smith for steals, I feel like you've just something's gone sideways in the first 10 rounds. So I just don't like him. Last year, in 134 games played, he had a 0.0 wins above replacement. Oh my gosh. I'm looking at it right he's now. Terrible. This is the first time I noticed it. Yeah, he's terrible. He's terrible. He's He's replacement level. That right there is saying he's replacement level. He is literally Billy Hamilton all over again. That's what this guy is. Not not really as good at peak. No. But he's like the descending version of Billy Hamilton. Like Billy Hamilton's already hit rock bottom. Malik's is getting there and will probably get there in the next one to two years. I I don't know if it'll be this year. He could still steal. 40 bases, but I just don't want to be the one holding them when I know that's going to happen. I just, I know it's inevitable unless they move him or something. But even then, I just don't feel like he's a good enough player for it to matter. I think he's a bench piece, pinch runner type. So I I just want nothing to do with him here. Well, it's a good point. The outfielders, they already have Malik is up there with Kyle Lewis, Jake Fraley, and Mitch Haniger. I'm assuming he's back by opening day. We'll talk about him a little bit. And then, yeah, Kelnick could be up this summer. I don't think we'll see Julio this year, but I think by early next year we will. And But we could, too. Like that's yeah, the other, it's, there, You can't these... completely rule it out. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it's just, like I say, you add all that up. I mean, I get that there's obvious speed, but everything else, I mean, even like he's not a batting average guy. He's not going to be an RBI guy. He's not going to be a run scored guy. He's obviously going to be terrible in home runs. I mean, he's just hurting your team in so many ways. And I don't think that he's going to steal like 60 bases, even like Billy or D Gordon did in their heyday. Even if it's all good, everything's good with him. So yeah, I just, I don't want anything to do with Malik's. He's got a little over three years of service time, which means I think they've got him another year before arbitration, but that means a year from now he's going to be arbitration eligible. That's a guy who, as we get into the summer and knowing that he's getting to arbitration with all these outfielders coming, I could see them trying to jump the gun and move him this summer. And move. And if that happens, he's going to get moved to a contender that – what is it, what's a contender going to want to do with Malik Smith? Right. Pinch run. Yes. Bill it like the Braves did with Billy Hamilton last summer. It's yeah. a, let's just get our, let's get our pinch runner that we can have in October. 
I could definitely see that guy getting traded by midseason, by the deadline, because they just they don't need him. He's right now filling a hole till these kids come up. And by the time, I mean, if Kelnick's up by this summer, he's their fifth. I mean, they they have five outfielders. So yeah, I'm with who's you on that. The, who's the one that you want nothing to do with? Is it him or is it somebody else? Or ah, uh, him probably Guriel too. I'm still we hated on the Guriel brothers last year. I still don't think I'm a big fan of that guy. He had a much better year and proved us wrong last year. But I think I'm still not too keen on him. I'm trying to pull up his page right now and see. You want to hear while you're pulling it up? You want to hear a. Uh, Something I just randomly found. What's that? Uh, on Lourdes Gurriel. So in the five fantasy categories, average home runs, RBI runs, and steals. Uh-huh. His steamer projection, he's projected in four of the five categories to be better than Victor Robles. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad I you just that, said Robles. Because I thought that was crazy. That's going to lead into my next conversation is Buxton here. Buxton's going 162 overall. And there is definitely some injury risk with this guy. I I mean, it's kind of like David Dahl. It's really hard to sit here and try to even squint and see 150 games out of this guy at this point. He's out there playing incredible defense, but he's running into everything. And until that changes... I think he's going to continue missing time with injury. As a guy who owned Buxton in a daily dynasty league last year, actually, I just traded him last week. And um, I know the guy listening, he even said, I'm going to be looking forward to hearing what you say about him. He's running into walls and getting hurt all the time. And I just don't think that's going to stop. That risk is there. That said, skills-wise, last year was his best year. And I know he's had better runs. He had a great August run a couple of years ago and a September run the year before. But Buxton was pretty good when he played last year. He, you know, still doesn't walk a ton. His K rate's not great. But in 87 games, he was hitting 262, which that 23% strikeout rate is much better than it's been in previous years. He came into spring training last year, and I remember his interviews where he was saying, I had too many people in my head in this offseason. I just spent going back to the basics and just doing my thing and not overthinking it. And if that's what it was, great. But his it was the, by far the best season he had. Starting in spring training, you, which you could see that the strikeout rate was down, and he carried that over. You know, sometimes spring training can be fluky, but he carried that over, and – for him to have a sub 25K rate, that's big for him. And sure enough, in 87 games, so a little over half season, he had 10 home runs, 14 steals. And despite hitting in the nine hole just about every game last year, it might have been every game, he had 48 runs and 46 RBIs in those 87 games. So on a per game basis, he was pretty good. It's just a matter of injury with him. I would, I kind of think I'd rather own him in a daily league than a weekly league because at least when he gets hurt, you can sit there and take him out because he is in a weekly league. He, the guy I traded, traded him to, he actually, I think he brought that up. He's like, I feel better about trading for him in a daily than a weekly. And I was like, why is that? And he's like, well, I'm daily league. If he crashes, 
wall on Tuesday, I could take him out on Wednesday and just not get killed for the rest of the week. And I was like, you know what? That kind of makes sense with this guy. So that's my take on Buxton. And, oh, yeah, actually, I forgot the beginning, which you said Robles. On a per-game basis, I would much rather have Buxton than Robles right now. I just think Buxton is improving in the ways that we still need to see Robles get to. What are your thoughts? Uh, I agree with most of what you said, actually. I wouldn't rather have Buxton than Robles, but I would definitely much rather have Buxton at 162 than Robles at 64. That isn't even close. I agree with all that. I said I'd rather have him on a per-game basis. If you told me they were playing the same, I'd take Buxton. But on the same note, yeah, yeah, yeah. the injury risk puts Robles ahead. I think I'd, yeah, I think I'd take Robles per game. But I mean, it's it's one of those things where I get it enough that a hundred picks is the difference. Like that's yes. where you know it's just like I would all day rather make this pick than Robles in the middle of round five or late round four, whatever. Uh, but yeah, Buxton was definitely better last year in the partial season. 111 WRC plus, which for him is good to see. Uh, he was number three in all of baseball in sprint speed behind Tim LaCastro and Trey Turner. Defense is obviously going to keep him out there for as long as he can stay healthy. I mean, like you said, running into walls and all that. I definitely get that. There's some injury risk with that, but um, when he's healthy, he's going to play. So, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's fast. So those things are interesting. And in round 12, it's around 11, whatever we're at, 11, 12. He's definitely, it's more interesting than it's been in the past. There's definitely going to be a group of people that are just like, Buxton sucks. And honestly, I get it. I mean, it's been frustrating <laughs> for sure. Yes, but there was at least a few signs last year to where I don't really hate this pick. He actually, this, I tell you, the projections love him. I mean, the steamer. I hadn't even looked at him till right now. Yeah, wow. twenty twenty. Yeah. Honestly, and, if you told uh, me he was going to play one hundred and forty games, I would agree with these projections. I'd probably even take a little more steals. But yeah, and actually, the runs in RBI, I would take the over if he was to play one hundred forty games. But I don't yeah. know. I guess they're pretty close because 139 games, 73, 73. That's pretty close. The projections are definitely bullish. I, I'm i probably a little bit more cautious, but I get it. I mean, there's definitely speed here, and you just got to hope he stays on the field and keeps the strikeout rate even around what it's at, 25%. I think that's fine. So I do want to talk Willie Calhoun before we get off of this list. I did – actually, he was cut in one of my dynasty leagues – for a guy who was contending who had some roster construction problems, I was surprised and immediately snagged him and was a really benefited in the second half. 21 home runs in 83 games. Doesn't strike out much, doesn't walk much. Not a high batting average guy, but I really I like Calhoun and Steamer's got him for 25 home runs. I I think I'd be taking the over on that by a pretty good amount like I think a, I'm not if I I'm not going to say I would like I don't know I think I I think he's 30 plus if he's staying playing the majority of the season and 
it's just health with him, I think, because I don't think he's going to hit his way out of that lineup I, unless it really goes south. I, I'm, I'm a fan of Calhoun at this price. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's fine here. Uh, I think he's a pretty good hitter. Power should be pretty good. Doesn't strike out that much. 17.4% for his career, 482 plate appearances. Not quite a full season. Uh, he has zero stolen bases in 131 career games, so you're not getting <laughs> any of that. But, yeah, I think he's a fine hitter. I mean, and I think the key with him is just going to be roll, and I think he's going to have it. So, Do you know what his defensive grade is on his fa- fan graphs page this last year? <laughs> um, I don't I, don't I just know. saw it. Yeah, I don't know exactly how they measure those. Like, I don't know what goes into it exactly, but yeah, I see it's negative, negative, negative. Every, <laughs> negative nine. Every, yeah, it's funny to look at. But that goes with him. I remember a famous quote when he was asked in some interview, I don't know if it was before he was drafted or what, they asked him what defensive play position he played. Do you remember this? And he said hitter, right? Yes, he said hitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Willie Calhoun. He's a masher. And he's going to be a big hole in the on defense. And who's the Rangers' DH? Because he played a lot of outfield last year. Shin Su Chu. What? They've got, they've got Calhoun, Santana, and Gallo in the outfield. At least on roster. At least on roster resource. I know Shin Chu Shin is getting up there in age, but surely he's not going to actually be playing well. Okay, I don't know how they use these defensive gra- me- measures, but I just pulled up his, and the statistic shows negative 19. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's brutal. I guess that's yeah, why Joey Gallo's playing center field on that team. No, he's playing right. Danny Santana, center. Oh, okay. I just know he played a lot of center field in the last two years. I, that's more of what I mean as, as compared to, yes, you're right, Danny Santana's playing there now. I wish they'd move. Uh, I wish they'd move Gallo to first. Get him that I, first base, first base outfield eligible. That'd be nice. But I mean, I don't Ronald, think Gallo wants to go Guzman, back. Yeah, Ronald Guzman's in there now, so I don't think, I think he he could easily come out. But I think Gallo said last year at one point, this probably before I traded him to you. I owned him last year for a good portion, then traded him to you in Roto Masters. But I remember him saying at one point he prefers being in the outfield. So yeah. I think he I think he wants to be out there. Okay, well that's where we're going to cut off episode number 57. I think we gave you a lot of content there for this episode, and Andrew and I are going to be back for episode 58 in just a few days, and we're going to talk about the rest of the outfielders who we like, don't like, uh, good in-game guys or reserved round outfielders, and we're going to even finish it off and try to get our Super Bowl prediction that we haven't done yet, talk about that for a bit, and we do have plenty more Facebook Baseball 365 member questions that we will be answering also at the end of the outfield discussion. But until then, thank you for listening, and we'll be back in a few days. Take care, everybody. 
Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. Baseball 365.